0: The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's... Thursday, March 16th. I guess we're recording this episode a little ahead of schedule because Maura Murray is going to come out before this one and then this one's going to
1: come out. So yeah, just trying to get a little bit ahead.
0: <laughs> but this is, this is a super old case for once. Not for once, but we usually do more current ones. So yeah. I don't think
1: there's going to be any changes. <laughs> well, you never know. Knowing our luck, there might be an arrest because it is unsolved, so there could still be an arrest. But Imagine. it would be just our luck that it happens around the time this episode comes out. I would totally take credit. (laughs) I always feel like, I don't know if it's just because of my kind of interest is more so mainly about current cases, but when we do ask on the Instagram, what kind of cases people want to hear about, you know, is it a cold case? Like it's always a pretty even split. So I, I feel like this is different to the cases we have recently covered, but hopefully people will still be interested. And I feel like too, a lot of Americans especially may not be too familiar with it. So for many people, it may be a brand new case that they're hearing about.
0: I've honestly never heard of this one and never heard of Jill Dando. So.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it was actually suggested to us by Loz who – yeah, so she suggested that we do it, which I never – hadn't really ever put it on the radar, but there is a Netflix series coming out about Jill Dando this year, I believe. So maybe good timing, you know, kind of this is an introduction to her case and I'm sure in this series they'll do a massive deep dive on her life, which will be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting – case um it had me googling about yugoslavia so it really takes a
1: turn eventually (laughs) something that you never thought you'd have to google
0: yeah i was like i don't know anything about this stuff so i (laughs) learned
1: i learned stuff today oh that's good yeah but anyways what's going on with you even though this will be a little out of date well, yeah. So the next two weekends, I think we're just trying to fit in some things before the weather turns, you know, while it's still nice. So I'm away with the book club girls this weekend um, for two nights. They're on their way. I, I arrived last night because I knew we had to record the podcast today. So they're on their way. They'll be a few hours away. Um, but yeah, the weather looks unbelievable. Like, usually when we, we usually do this every year at this time and usually it's cold like you've got to wear a jumper or a sweats you know sweatshirt or whatever but it's like 100 degrees <laughs> so mm-hmm. it'll be beautiful good swimming weather good you know being out we're going to tennis today um so yeah should be fun just for a few days
0: yeah it's actually we had like i got a snow day we had a big storm but it was weird cuz then it got we probably only got like 8 inches of snow which is kind of a lot but then it got warm while it was snowing so it's like snowing heavily but melting like while it was snowing <laughs> but i got out of work for the day which was nice so i caught up on some hogwarts legacy um but today it's like feels like the start of spring which i think spring is technically like next week by the time this comes out it'll be spring but before this also because of daylight savings i have more time between work and when we record so Mike and I went outside and we smoked a cigar. Well, really he does, but I'll I'll have like a little bit here and there to feel included. So great, great for my <laughs> voice right before recording. <laughs> it was nice to like get outside while it was a little sunny and a little nice. Good things to come hopefully. Mm. No updates with my my local case yet. <sighs> Actually, mm, probably when this comes out, there might be. She's due back in court on the twenty third, but I don't really know. Like what'll be happening there, so, but I'll keep everyone posted on Instagram because, like I said, I love to to roast this girl when I can.
1: We've also had a few messages this week asking if asking us if we're going to cover the recent murders in Seattle of the podcaster and her husband. It's actually such a crazy story that really does hit too close to home she was being stalked by a podcast listener and he broke into the house and he murdered her and her husband and he I think he tried to kill one of their mothers as well but she managed to escape so we've decided that probably for the next episode after this one comes out we will do an episode on stalking cases we'll definitely include that one um yeah just a crazy unbelievable case really
0: and that one is a little similar to not similar to this one but there's like a part in this story that's similar to that so
1: yeah we'll we'll get into that or reminded us of it um it's yeah terrifying how far people take things like obviously in the case we're going to speak about today in murder so in the seattle case people really really sometimes just go insane
0: it's crazy and like you hear about it all the time with celebrities like I get TMZ alerts so I always see like the Kardashians will have someone like arrested that's stalking them or like outside their house but it's like regular people that aren't the Kardashians don't have like security and yeah. all this shit like they do
1: so it's scary. And even the podcaster I know she tried to get a restraining order and I think like I read once the guy had contacted her 100 times in a day like but still... You know, what What good is a piece of paper going to do, really? You can't contact me. Yeah. Oh, okay, y'all stop. <laughs> yeah,
0: we've, and we've seen that with a lot of just like domestic abuse type cases where the woman, usually the woman or the man, gets a restraining order against someone, but that doesn't stop them from murdering no. them. No, no, like, exactly. So, yeah, it's scary. So we're just going to end the podcast here <laughs> and never have another episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Just kidding. But it is a good reminder to... You know, be careful. Stay safe. Not share too much about your location or anything like that.
1: Yeah, and even just for people in general, like you know, be careful about posting photos of your kids' school. You know, there's even things like that. Just a good Mm -hmm. reminder. I think sometimes you just get a bit complacent, a bit. Oh, it'll be fine. But all it really does take is one crazy person to take an extra interest in your life. And yeah, for me,
0: it's like when I go out, I like to tag where I am, and it's just kind of habit because. Uh, even though my Instagram is still private, I still have accepted lots of podcast listeners. So I have like almost 5,000 followers and I have to like remind myself sometimes of like, no, it's not just me and my my 300 followers that I basically know from growing up. Like I can't just share my location. Not that I think I'm important enough because then – I'm also like, all right, calm down. Like, no one actually gives a fuck about you still. <laughs>
1: but you just never know. Yeah, well, I get, you know, I'm sure. And, like, the other podcaster that was, like, a tech podcaster. So it was kind of not a, let's say, a glamorous podcast. Like, it wasn't, like, a celebrity podcast. It yeah, was they weren't, tech like, podcast. celebrities. Like, No. So um, I try now when I am posting anything publicly, I do it after. So when I'm not there anymore, <laughs> just That's in case. That's what the
0: Kardashians do. Yeah.
1: That's what they say on
0: their show. Or they'll... They'll like post them in like airplane mode or something, and then when they leave, they'll like take it off airplane mode or something yeah. weird, or they'll just post them after. Yeah, me and Olivia feel like we've been recording for an hour because we <laughs> recorded a bunch of things and then realized somehow it stopped recording. So hopefully, hopefully we get through this episode, alright. Oh yeah, let me check. Are we still recording? Yeah, <laughs> we are. Yes. I just looked. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get on with it. This episode we are going to be talking about. Jill Dando, this case is from England, 1999. Oh, sorry. I thought you were
1: wondering about the country.
0: <laughs> in England, and she was like a big broadcaster journalist there. I don't really know since I wasn't in London in 1999, but.
1: She gives like a, a Barbara Walters, yeah. Like she works for the BBC, which is basically the National Broadcasting Corporation in Britain. Um, so yeah, I would absolutely liken her to Katie Couric or someone like that. Like everyone in Britain, pretty much knew her. She presented a lot of the news, um, and she was on TV. I would say it's fair to say daily. So everyone knew her.
0: Yeah, she's like a reporter where people are like interested in her personal life kind of like the good morning america anchors here like everyone kind of knows who they are Um, yeah like you said there's gonna be a netflix series about her life and death coming out later this year so this will be a good little brief for anyone who wants to watch the show
1: Hello, welcome back. I'm pleased to say that our first programme of the new year has brought a really positive response to all the videos and reconstructions shown tonight. There's certainly something for the officers here to work on. Good evening, the TV personality Jill Dando, who as Crime Watch presenter helped to send dozens of criminals to jail, was murdered on her own doorstep today. Tonight the mystery over her death deepened with speculation that the killing may have been revenge for her anti-crime work. She was attacked at her home in Fulham in West London. A man was seen hurrying away.
0: Jill Windy Dando was born on November 9th, 1961, and she was born at the Ashcombe House Maternity Home in Somerset, England. Her parents were Jack Dando and Winifred Mary Jean Hockey. Winifred, her mother, died from leukemia in 1986 at age 57, and her father Jack passed away in 2009. Jill had one sibling, a brother named Nigel, who was born in 1952, so she was the baby of the family. Um, her parents raised her as a Baptist, and it said that she was a devout follower for her whole life. And when she was three years old, doctors found out that she had a hole in her heart as well as a blocked pulmonary artery, and she had to have surgery in 1965 when she was three years old. It's crazy. She was successful among her peers
1: during her school years. She was head girl um we call we call that I think school captain here Well, I don't, do you guys have something like that there we had like class
0: president or like yeah. school
1: president yeah type things so I think yeah school captain here they have school captain and vice captain usually and then where I'm from they sometimes have prefects which are kind of like um <laughs> I don't even know it sounds silly because I know it's high school but you know they they are kind of representative of the rest of the students too but school captain is the highest and then vice captain is their kind of deputy. Prefect just makes me think of Harry Potter because like that's what they called them. <laughs> Very British. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: Jill also loved drama and acting. She was a member of, the dramatic, of dramatic societies and theatre companies and she appeared in plays at her local theatre. Her first journalistic job was as a trainee reporter for her local newspaper, the Weston Mercury. And her brother, Nigel, and her father, Jack, both worked on the paper. So that's how she had a connection. Um, After five years as a print journalist, she went to work for the BBC in 1985. 1997, she was named BBC Personality of the Year. And in 19. 98 she made the big move from regional to national television and she moved to London to present BBC News. She was also the host of many shows including Breakfast Time, Breakfast News, BBC 1 o'clock News,
1: Holiday and Crime Watch. So she had a lot going on. Yeah, just as a little kind of add-on. So she was presenting Crime Watch at the time that she was murdered, which is kind of a little bit ironic. Crime Watch, for anyone who doesn't know, is a bit like America's Most Wanted, where they would kind of um, have segments about crimes and criminals and look for more information. So it's yeah a little bit eerie that she was the host of that at the time that she was murdered herself.
0: Yeah, it definitely helped um, solve some cases or at least like bring more awareness to cases so they can be solved. So I could see why criminals might not like that too much, which will go into some theories eventually. Jill moved to Fulham in London in 1994 and asked some background into that area. It's one of the nicest. It's in the top four most expensive areas to live in London, the other areas are Kensington and Chelsea, think like Kensington Palace, um, the city of Westminster, like Westminster Abbey, and Camden. So, the final year of her life was 1999. It was one of her most successful professionally. And the day before she died, she presented the first
1: episode of Antiques Inspectors, something a little new for her, it seems. <laughs> it's so like I, when I was researching Jill, it's so funny because that is such a British concept like i don't know if you guys have that there but like i remember where they you know you would take your antiques and they'd um appraise them and tell you if it was really worth what you thought like those type of shows it was just it was so british <laughs> well we had like i think it was like antiques roadshow yes yes, something yes like that I, but, th- I feel like that's the same type of thing
0: i feel like <laughs> antiquing for us in the u.s i hope no one gets offended Is like a little more redneck because it's, like, American pickers and, like, they go to these, like, abandoned barns and look for signs or, like, go to, like, flea <laughs> markets. And, but I, I'm sure there's other antiquing. Like, no one get mad at me. So she'd been featured on the cover of Radio Times Magazine from April 20th to the 24th. And she'd been scheduled to present the British Academy Television Awards in May alongside Michael Parkinson. So, like I said before, she was, like, a big deal. Like, everyone knew her. Yeah. Um, it's been said that in 1999, Jill was among those with the highest profile of the BBC on screen staff.
1: Just to add to, which I think is kind of an interesting point, I'll put those photos of Jill on the blog if you want to go and have a look, but she does resemble, did resemble Princess Diana a lot, I think. Like yeah. she looked very, very similar. Even when I posted a photo of her on Instagram, people were like, wow, I thought that was Princess Diana. So just to give you, if you haven't seen a photo of her, that's kind of what she looks like. She had short blonde hair. She was very attractive. Um, but Just to give you kind of a picture in your head of what she looks like.
0: Yeah, she had like a similar facial Hot, yeah. structure, similar – like like they're both white, but they had like a similar
1: skin tone. They just – they look very similar. I feel like mainly it was probably the hair, to be honest. <laughs> like they both had blonde, short hair. If Jill's hair or one of their hair had been longer, they probably wouldn't have been as similar. But at the time, they looked very similar. <laughs> yeah, they do. I feel like they just had like a similar vibe too. yeah. yeah. So, in terms of Jill's
0: personal life, in December 1997, she went on a blind date that had been set up by a mutual friend. Her date was a gynecologist named Alan Farthing. Jill and Alan became engaged on January 31st, 1999, and their wedding date was set for September 25th, 1999. And I know you're you're all thinking already that it's the husband, but maybe not this time. <laughs> because
1: that's what I thought when I was reading along. Yeah, I feel like actually this is probably one case where I feel very confident in saying it was not him.
0: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, So just as another interesting note, Alan went on to become Queen Elizabeth's personal
1: doctor eventually. I feel like that gives you kind of an idea about the society that they were running in, like they were very – The prestige. Yeah, yeah. They were very respected, very high profile, very um, – yeah – to become the Queen's personal doctor, I don't really think there could be much of a higher esteem as a doctor in England. All right. So we'll get
0: into the timeline of the day that Jill was murdered. This going be April 26, 1999, and she was 37 years old at the time. Um, so in the morning, she left Alan's home in Chiswick. She drove to the house she owned in Fulham, which is around four miles away and an 11-ish minute drive, depending on the traffic. She had originally lived in the house, but was in the process of selling it, so she didn't even go there that frequently. She got out of the car, walked to her front door, and at 1132, before she could go inside, she was shot once in the head. Her neighbor, Helen Doble, discovered her body 14 minutes later, and police were called at 1147. So on the call, Helen said, I'm walking along Gowan Avenue. It looks like there's somebody collapsed confidentially. It looks like it's Jill Dando and she's collapsed. There's a lot of blood. So even, well, I guess their neighbors, I was going to say, even this person knew who she was.
1: Yeah. I, I Like I'm guessing, you know, if she lived in that area, like we have a little bit of a local celebrity. Everyone knows where they live. <laughs> I feel like everyone's aware if someone like that lives in your street. Yeah. Yeah. So the operator asked Helen to check that if she, if she was breathing
0: and Helen replied, she doesn't look as though she's breathing. She's got blood coming from her nose. Her arms are blue. An operator asked, I just need to find out if she's breathing. Is the lady's chest going up and down? And Helen started sobbing, and she said, oh my god, no, I don't think she's alive. I'm sorry. So Jill was taken to Charing Cross Hospital, where she was declared dead on arrival at 103 p.m. Some early reports about Jill's death said that she'd been stabbed multiple times, but this proved to be false. And a Scotland Yard statement said, a postmortem held today at Fulham Mortuary established the cause of death as a brain injury caused by a single gunshot wound to the head. Alan, Jill's fiance, made a statement and said, I'm totally devastated and unable to comprehend what was happening. Jill was respected for her professional ability, admired by all who met her and adored by anyone who got to know her. The Queen even made a statement saying she was shocked and saddened by the murder. Jill had helped the Duke of York to promote a charity called Fight for Sight. Prime Minister Tony Blair also expressed the shock about her death. A neighbor named Richard Hughes spoke about the murder and about seeing a man at the scene. He said, I heard her scream. It was was a quite distinctive scream. She sounded quite surprised. I opened the shutters and saw a man. He was well-dressed. He was wearing a barber-style jacket, and at first I thought it must have been a friend of Jill's as he looked very respectable. I went to the door and saw her lying on the doorstep. She was unconscious and covered in blood. I was obviously shocked, and I
1: took a look at her, and she wasn't breathing. Um, So a barber jacket, I don't really it's, know how to explain it. It's kind of like – I've put a photo in. I think that's someone from the royal family. Like, it's like a – longish like buttons it looks like it's like a weather jacket like you could wear it if it yeah, was, was raining say, it looks kind of like
0: a raincoat
1: yeah like a heavy raincoat um that I'm you know you'd wear if you were riding horses or something like that like it's basically it doesn't really matter but just for anyone who doesn't know what it is because I didn't know what it was either but it's like kind of that a heavy h- heavy looking rain jacket essentially
0: yeah So Forensic testing indicated that Jill had been shot by a bullet from a 9mm short caliber semi-automatic pistol. The gun had been pressed against her head at the time she was shot, and there is an in-depth article from The Guardian titled Shadow of Doubt, and this info about the murder is from that. It says, As Jill was about to put her keys in the lock to open the front door of her home in Fulham, she was grabbed from behind. With his right arm, the assailant held her and forced her to the ground so that her face was almost touching the tiled step of the porch. Then with his left hand, he fired a single shot at her temple, killing her instantly. It was very close to 11.30 a.m. The bullet entered her head just above her ear, parallel to the ground, and came out the right side of her head into the door, leaving a mark that was a mere 22 centimeters above the doorstep. For the killer, there were three advantages to such a clinical one-shot murder— The first was silence. The gases escaping as the gun was discharged, which normally caused the sound, instead exploded inside the head, so there was virtually no noise. Richard Hughes, Jill's neighbor, was working at the front of the house and heard a brief sudden cry but didn't hear a gunshot. The second was that the assailant did not end up covered in flesh and blood. The third was speed. Hughes estimated a gap of only 30 seconds between hearing Jill get out of her car and the assailant leaving through the gate and hearing it latch behind him. So the police estimated that it happened even faster than that. I think
1: they said like 30 seconds. It's so crazy. Like, I don't know. She was at the door about to put her keys in the door. There's actually a photo on the blog of the scene. Like, there's a lot of blood. The blood's blurred out, so you don't see that. But, you know, so I'm saying she got out of the car was up at, you know, putting the keys in the door. He went up, grabbed her, put her on the ground, shot her, and then was leaving all within 30 seconds. Yeah,
0: and it's crazy. I wrote down when I was reading it, It's like she didn't even go to this house often. No. So was someone following her?
1: Was someone waiting for her? Well, the police, we're getting to it, but the police have said that they don't think she was followed. So, but I don't know. It is weird. If, she, if like, she didn't go there regularly. It's not like she went every day at, let's say, 11 a.m. to pick up the mail. She was apparently not there regularly. So... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Well,
0: then I saw something because it was about how, like, the police will say, like, looking at TV that they didn't think she was followed. But then I saw something where, like, people who live around there, like, six different people saw, like, a strange man lingering around or something. But yeah. then it's one of those things where it's, like, like, we talked about another episode where was this in hindsight where they're like, hmm, that was a weird guy lingering around maybe. <laughs>
1: yeah, Maybe. I guess people just are overcautious when things like this happen. They're like, yeah, well, he did look a bit strange. Maybe I'll report that guy.
0: Yeah. Um, so the address of Jill's house, we believe, was 29 Gowan Avenue, London. Online records say it's a five-bedroom freehold terraced house, the 14th most expensive property in the suburb
1: with a valuation of nearly two million pounds. There's also kind of an eerie photo of Jill that someone, I don't know if it's paparazzi or someone took it, but it's of her on another day going into the house. Like she's got a paper, she's carrying a shopping bag and she's kind of turning around and smiling at them like, oh yeah, you know, so it's a bit eerie that that was, you know, yeah, a bit of a final image photo. So in terms of the gun and ammunition used, it was said that the f- killer was probably practiced and they, that is why the short weapon was used. It seems like the plan was always to walk up and kill Jill at close range so they didn't need long-range accuracy from like a rifle or something like that. When the bullet was examined, six tiny indentations were found and these are called crimping marks as the ca- cartridge case was tightened around the bullet. They were slightly irregular, which apparently suggested that they were handmade. The bullet was correct for the cartridge case and functioned perfectly in the gun and the cartridge case was ejected on the spot. So All of this is kind of a bit, what does that mean? It basically means that the murderer probably had some knowledge about the handgun that he was using. There was a lot of obvious intense media coverage about Jill's case. The police named their investigation Operation Oxborough. As Jill was so well known though, they said it was difficult because she was in contact with literally thousands of people and was known by millions of people. Within six months of her murder, police had spoken to more than 2,500 people and had taken over 1,000 statements. By 2001, police had traced over 14,000 emails and had interviewed 5,000 people. They'd also identified 140 people who were said to have an unhealthy interest in Jill. So that's crazy, 140 people obsessed with her. Yeah, (laughs) creepy. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, the main focus of the early investigation was on a man named Barry George. Barry lived about a half a mile from the house in Fulham. He had a history of being a bit of a creep. He'd been known to stalk women and he'd been charged with sexual offences as well as with antisocial behaviour. Interestingly, as we mentioned before, Jill did resemble Princess Diana. Barry also had a Princess Diana obsession. He had been arrested in 1983 on the grounds of Diana's home at Kensington Palace. At that time, he had two knives as well as a 15-foot rope on him and he was wearing combat gear and a gas mask. Offender profiling expert Dr. Reid Malloy has said that Barry was very much intending to assault or harm Diana. In 1983, Barry had been stopped four times in 10 months from hanging around Kensington Palace in the middle of the night. He didn't end up being charged over that incident, which I don't know why, but... (laughs) <laughs> he wasn't charged. But when police later searched his apartment, they found pictures and articles about Diana as well as details of the cars that she drove. At one point, he was on Scotland Scotland Yard's list of potential dangers to the royal family. When Diana died in 1997, Barry went to the funeral. He camped out all night at Westminster Abbey to ensure he got a good spot. He had a sign that said, Queen of Hearts, signed Barry Balsara, Freddie Mercury's cousin. Rest in peace. (laughs) Like, this is, I think we can tell that Barry was not a well person. Just as this goes on, you can just see what's going on with him. Yeah. So from that sign, we can also deduce that Barry had an obsession with Freddie Mercury. Just to make the whole kind of Barry motive in relation to this come full circle, the Guardian suggested that his obsession with Freddie could have been the motive to kill Jill. They've got an article and it says he disliked the BBC and its journalists because of the way Freddie Mercury had been treated before he died. Barry was put under surveillance by police and he was arrested on the 25th of May 2000 and he was charged with Jill's murder three days later on May 28. After Barry was arrested, he was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. The prosecution psychologist also found that he had several personality disorders, including antisocial, histronic, narcissistic, and paranoid, as well as ADHD. He was also said to have epilepsy and an IQ of 75, so just as kind of, um, I guess, a Guideline. difference Yeah. 100 is average. Scores under 70 would be considered below average or borderline impaired. Most people have an IQ of 85 to 115 and 130 is above average or very superior. So Barry was on the lower end of the scale. Yeah. The main piece of evidence against Barry came when his coat was examined by Forensic Science Services. A single particle of firearms residue was found in his coat pocket. It was no bigger than one hundredth of a millimeter, which is – tiny it's like i don't even know the tiniest tiniest speck that you could ever imagine mm-hmm. senior forensic officer mr Keeley decided that it matched the discharge residue found at the scene of the killing and barry admitted that he had been wearing that coat on the day of the murder the other reasoning for barry's guilt was that he fit the general description of the man seen fleeing the scene no witnesses positively No witnesses positively identified the suspect as being Barry, but he had been identified as being in the area up to four hours before the murders. When Barry was initially interviewed, he did lie about his knowledge of Jill and he tried to create a fake alibi. In Barry's defence, a Dr. Loyve gave evidence and said that in his opinion the particle was so small that to rely on it as evidence after the murder was incredible. He also argued that the particle could be a result of casual contamination. So after the trial, the jury took five days to reach their verdict. It wasn't unanimous. The verdict was a 10 to 1 majority, but it was a guilty verdict. Barry was sentenced to life in prison on the 2nd of July 2001. Barry appealed first in 2002, and that was unsuccessful. Three senior court of appeal judges rejected claims that the evidence used to convict Barry. Barry was flimsy. The judges said, We do not consider that the cumulative effect of delay and adverse publicity was such as to render a fair trial no longer possible. The trial which took place was fair. On identification, the judges said, We are satisfied that there was evidence properly admitted and properly left to the jury for their consideration. It was evidence from which the jury could conclude that each each witness saw the same man and that the man was Barry George. So, Barry's lawyers launched another appeal in 2006. In March their appeal of that year, their appeal was based on fresh evidence regarding medical examinations. These studies suggested that Barry wasn't capable of Jill's murder due to his mental disabilities. They brought in a neuropsychiatrist named Michael Kopelman to dispute the prosecution's claims that Barry sh- showed signs of histronics, paranoia, and narcissism, and that he had a personality disorder. Dr. Copelman said he described to me that he can be aware of what's going on around him but he just can't respond. His opinion was that Barry was not calculating enough to have committed this crime.
0: Which is interesting because of the stuff where he showed up at like where Princess Diana was with like all those supplies and stuff and they were like he was definitely planning something.
1: I don't think there is enough evidence to like convict him of this, but just kind of strange. I guess maybe in terms of not being calculating enough. Like he was clearly in terms of Diana, clearly in plain sight in a gas mask. Like he did he didn't do it very covertly. Like he he may have had a general plan, but maybe in terms of being calculating, he just wasn't smart enough essentially to pull it off.
0: Whereas this seems almost like a hitman who like apparently knew the science of guns.
1: Yeah. So, a second part of this appeal is that two new witnesses say they saw armed police at the scene when Barry was arrested. This is contrary to official reports, where police say there were no armed officers present. This is important because now this gives an argument as to how the gunshot residue may have gotten onto Barry. On the 20th of June 2007, Criminal Cases Review Commission announced that it would refer Barry's case to the Court of Appeal. So that hearing began on the 5th of November that year. 2 days later on the 7th of November 2007 the court of appeal reserved judgment in the case and on November 15 it was announced that the appeal was allowed and Barry's conviction was overturned. So a re- like it's just such a long legal process. A retrial mm-hmm. ordered and Barry was still kept in custody. He appeared in court again on 14th of December 2007 and he pled not guilty. His retrial began on the 9th of June 2008. So this is going on for 8 years after he was initially first arrested. As someone who might be innocent i yep. guess <laughs> so for the defense william clegg qc reminded the jury that evidence from three women placed barry's arrival at the offices at eleven fifty or 12 o'clock which would have made it impossible for him to be at jill's house at eleven thirty to commit the murder two neighbors who almost certainly saw the murderer immediately after the shooting had seen him go off in the direction and they also didn't identify barry at an identification parade So Barry was acquitted on the 1st of August 2008. So eight years essentially after he was arrested, he was exonerated of the crime. It's crazy. It's like you just don't get time back. Yeah, and I've seen things too, like he's essentially not eligible for much compensation. I believe he did sue some news outlets, but in terms of essentially losing eight years of his life, he doesn't, you know, nothing. So sorry, too bad. That's it. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, he was a little bit, chaotic and seemed
0: kind of like a not great person to begin with but he also just seemed mentally unwell so and in the
1: like you know obviously Jill's murder is unsolved I guess it could have been Barry we'll get into theories in a minute but it could have been Barry I guess but maybe it was really just him in the because he was in the area and he was the scapegoat at the time yeah all right so there are a number of theories in Jill's case the first one is that a jealous ex or former lover was the murderer Jill did have a few former boyfriends, but police apparently quickly ruled out this theory after cross-referencing her phone records. There's not much other information on how they kind of ruled someone out. I'm just like I feel like in those days too, in 1999, there was much less, you know, GPS tracking. Digital data. Yeah. So by checking her phone records, I hope they they did more than that. Um, I feel like it probably wasn't a jealous ex. She had been with her partner for two years surely it wouldn't have been a jealous ex but you know I guess I feel
0: like it probably wasn't like a jealous ex or even like a crazy fan unless they had like hired someone to do it because this seems like so calculated and cold like she didn't even see who it was I, I don't think really or maybe no. did for a second but it was so fast whereas if you think it was like a ex-lover or someone or even a stalker or anyone that there would have been some sort of confrontation like a A crazed fan would have wanted
1: to like make themselves known and be like here I am and this really like I agree it really does sound that this was someone who was going there for the purpose of killing Jill they weren't interested in an altercation they weren't you know it was just someone who wanted her dead very quickly yeah um, the second theory was that she'd been assassinated by someone as a result of her involvement in the crime watch program, like kind of a retribution killing. Um, you know maybe someone was mad because they'd put their let's you know theorize their brother behind jail in, in behind bars, mm-hmm. something like that. Police apparently also ruled out this theory. The third theory is that a deranged fan was the murderer, Nigel, who's Jill's brother told police that she had been worried by quote some guy pestering her. But detectives also ruled out this theory, which I find interesting, especially after they've said by 2001, they had 140 people with an unhealthy interest in Jill. Like, I feel like could be like, I, I just, I just wonder if they really have been able to a hundred percent rule out all these, you know, possibilities.
0: I was also wondering, like, how they even figure out that 140 people are unhealthily obsessed with her. It seems like
1: a lot of effort. Yeah. Yeah. Like it- And especially back then when the internet wasn't as prominent, you know, people didn't have access to the internet. Can't just find like Instagram fan pages or something. (laughs) Someone who makes 47 Facebook pages
0: for Jill. Yeah. Anyway. Also, I was thinking um, since she was kind of like a higher profile person, they probably felt a lot of pressure to solve the case. So I don't know if that's why they kind of like jumped the gun with Barry or ruling out certain things too.
1: Yeah. Um, the fourth theory is that this was mistaken identity. I feel like this one is I can probably pretty safely rule this out. It seems very unlikely as she was killed on the doorstep to her own home. If someone was looking for, let's say, Sharon Smith down the street, why would Sharon be at Jill's house? Do you know what I mean? Like it's that's it seems like a very unlikely theory to me. And also a house that she didn't go to that often.
0: So yeah. like who would
1: they have been looking for? <laughs> yeah. Um, The fifth one is that she was killed by a rival or business partner. There isn't really too much information on this, but her agent John Roseman did tell the media that he had been interviewed as part of the investigation, so it seems like that was kind of an avenue they're exploring. Again, I don't really see much motivation for this. Um, One, I asked on Instagram what people believed had happened to Jill and the next theory was actually one that came up a few times. People believe that she may have been murdered due to a connection into the Jimmy Savile sexual abuse scandal and a pedophile ring that was looked into. So if you're not sure who Jimmy Savile is, he was a pretty high-profile English media personality who ended up eventually sexually abusing hundreds of people in his life. There was a rumour that Jill had investigated the pedophile ring associated with that case. And the same rumour said that she had a file with her findings on the pedophile ring that she'd given to the BBC management. So the theory is that someone knew that she was about to bust open this pedophile ring, was probably going to make it all public, and that she was murdered before that could happen. Mm-hmm. The BBC have said, though, there is no evidence to support that claim. Um, so, a But lot- they would say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and I guess, you know, now it's been however many years, like over a decade. So. Um, Over two decades, actually. So it's just like surely it would have come out by now if they wouldn't be holding on to that type of evidence, you wouldn't think. Yeah. So a lot of the theories do involve Jill being targeted for different reasons, the jilted lover, the angry colleague, retribution, and that is the type of killing that may have been a contract killing. As she wasn't living at the property full time, she was rarely there. Police believed that a professional hitman would have been aware of that situation And they've also said that they looked at the CCTV of Jill's kind of travel to Fulham and didn't find any evidence that she'd been followed. But if this person was on foot, maybe there's like, I don't know, someone could have paid him if, maybe if she, if they knew she was there once a week, that could have, you know, do you know what I mean? Like it could have, laying in wait wouldn't be such a strange thing for that person to do.
0: Yeah. I know like before she went to her house, she like made a few stops at shops and things and um this one video i watched this i said before had like a few different people so there could have been like a man lingering around the road like the night before and that morning like around where they lived and then i guess also one of the employees at the store that she had stopped at before she went home also said there was like a man lingering around on his phone seeming indecisive but again i feel like that probably came out in hindsight or then people were like Thinking like, oh, she was here. She was there. Anyone around? Like, oh, that guy on his phone looked kind of weird. Like, maybe he, he was following her. So, I don't know. It seems like there was nothing
1: concrete about anyone maybe following her. But and just to clarify too, so Fulham and Chiswick, where she left her partner's property, these are inner inner city London areas. It's not they're not rural. Like the houses are literally attached to each other mostly. Like, there's it's a it's the inner city. It's a city. Yeah. So just in case you're not familiar with what the kind of area is like, there would have been hundreds of people in the area at the time.
0: Yeah, like on the CCTV, you see lots of people around. She's walking on the sidewalk. There's lots of people around.
1: Um, So, yeah, not a quiet area. So um, before getting to the final theory, just a little bit more on the gun. It was argued by police that a professional would not have used such a poor-quality weapon, and I think that this is part of the reason, too, why they focused on Barry George, who they said essentially was just kind of a crazy individual who acted on opportunity. There seems like there's a lot of contradiction because this gun seems to be handmade and it worked perfectly for the purpose. Yeah, because they're then, like, oh, this person must know about guns. But they're but also, then they're no, it's also a piece saying, shit. yeah, like it's, it's not, uh, I guess – I don't know. And I I feel like this does kind of lead into the next theory um, in terms of maybe it being a more of a um, like a personal attack by someone who made the gun because they knew it would be fit for purpose. Yeah. Um, So the final theory is that Jill was murdered due to her involvement in the Yugoslav wars. This was also a theory that came up a lot when we asked on Instagram She had appealed for aid during 1999. Her appeals for help for the refugees had been shown on television three weeks before she died. So if you're not familiar with this kind of conflict and that was happening at the time, the UK and NATO were involved in the Kosovo War, which was opposing Serbia. After Jill was murdered, calls were made to the BBC and other media outlets taking responsibility for the crime on behalf of Serbian groups. One call was made at 3 p.m. on the day of the murder, which was just two hours after she was publicly announced dead. The call said, Ari, the murder of journalist, tell your prime minister in Belgrade, 15 killed, so 14 more to go. I also saw that because um, I think three days before she was killed,
0: NATO also did a bombing um there that they were like trying to maybe get revenge for but it seems like three days would be a quick time to scramble together a hit like in a different country and
1: especially if someone who they probably would have had to put surveillance on to figure out when you know, when she was going to be at the house like it's not like she was there yeah. she left the house at 9 a.m every day and got back at 4 p.m or whatever like it was a real chance that she was going to be mm-hmm. there on that day Um, So Barry George's defence barrister, Michael Mansfield, said during the trial that he believed Serbian warlord Arkan had ordered Jill's assassination. He said Jill Dando by this stage had become one, if not the face, of the BBC. In short, she was the personification and the embodiment of the BBC. In 2019, so a fair while after the murders, reports emerged that the British National Criminal Intelligence Service had given an intelligence report to the Jill Dando murder investigators in this report, it was claimed that the murder was retaliation for the bombing of the Radio Television of Serbia headquarters, and that Arkan had ordered the murder. So I believe in that bombing, that's when the fifteen people were killed that they mentioned mm-hmm. in the phone call. Yeah. Um, the report outlined a possible connection between the bullet that killed Jill and bullets used for assassinate for assassinations in Germany. There was another journalist called Slavko who I think I'm hope I'm saying that last name right but he was assassinated outside his home in Belgrade just days before Jill died and the method used in both cases was identical. In 2019 four men from the Serbian secret service were convicted of Slavko's murder. So despite all the arguments about the murder being carried out by the crazed gunmen, there was a 2008 review carried out which concluded that Jill had been killed by a professional in a hard contact execution. The gun, the gunman knew that pressing the gun against Jill's head would have muffled the shot and would have also stopped the murderer from being spattered with the blood. So that is kind of the summary of the main theories in Jill's case. This is one where I really don't have a hard I- idea about what happened. I do crazily feel that the Yugoslav war theory could be very well what happened. Same, and that's like something I would normally never No, think. usually I dismiss that as being ridiculous, but it does – like a, if there wasn't the phone call especially maybe I would think, oh, but, you know, that, that also could have just been an opportunistic thing for someone. We know that all, you know, in kind of times of conflict, opposing parties are always trying to take credit for things that they didn't do. So. Yeah, like
0: whenever anything crazy happens here, there's always terrorist groups taking claim for it even if it wasn't. Yeah.
1: So it could be something like that, but I also wouldn't be surprised – Like, it seems like, you know, I feel like it was definitely targeted. This was absolutely not a random murder. I just am not 100% sure of the reason for the targeting. And I saw in a video I was watching today,
0: there was, like, journalists over there and someone actually, like, spoke to Arkan and he was, like, basically said he doesn't even know who Jill Dando (sighs) is and he would never – he wouldn't do that.
1: But I was like, what what the fuck else is he going to say even if he did? Yeah, like – and – It is interesting, like, if he is a warlord and it sounds like he probably gives no fucks, why wouldn't he just admit it? But, you know, I don't know. I guess there's reasons for if that was the case. Um, I don't probably think it's related to the Jimmy Savile sexual abuse scandal. Um, I feel like either it would be more likely related to the Yugoslav Wars or it was like a deranged stalker, someone who just really, yeah, could be crime Watch. I feel like it was... um, someone who just was out on a mission to kill Jill. Yeah. That's why I feel like either the war
0: one or someone whose family member or something got screwed over by something on crime watch maybe.
1: I just find it interesting that it was obviously a very targeted attack, it could have been personal, but why no one if – it, if it was the related to the war, except for that phone call, why didn't anyone take responsibility? You'd think they would want to be gloating about it. You know, look what we That's did. What they um, were saying
0: in, like, the video that I watched today that went over it. Um, they said that they didn't feel like it was that because they were, like, they would um, be, like, gloating about it. They'd be talking about it way more. Like, it would be, like, a big thing for them. And also because um, – what was it, the Serbian Secret Service or whoever they think it could have been, um, are very, like, tactical and, like, no to leave, like, no evidence and anything like that. But they left behind a bullet on the stairs where they were, like, they wouldn't have
1: done – like, a real professional, like, wouldn't have just left the bullet right there on the steps. Even things like all the neighbours saw this man, um, like, I feel like it just wouldn't have happened in the way it was probably unlikely to have happened in the way that it did if it was a professional, professional killing by a warlord, for example.
0: Yeah, but it is weird because
1: Slavko was also murdered basically very similarly by yeah. Serbian Secret Service. And I, I, th- I think we just touched on it, but apparently like the indentations in the bullet that were found in Slavko were also the same as the ones in Jill, which kind of, you know, it, it, there's a few things that do point to it being possible, but it just does seem a little bit unbelievable really
0: maybe it could have been like a like what happens i don't know if this was as much of a thing then but here how we'll have like the lone wolf terrorist
1: attacks where like they'll act on their own like in name of um whatever terrorist group i just feel like if it was related to something like terrorism or the conflicts that they would just try and take responsibility for it the fact that no one's you know even written like like for example I know this is just kind of my imagination but they could have written an anonymous letter like there's things they could have done to take ownership of the crime but the fact that no one has really done that leads me to believe it's someone who just wanted Jill dead that's it they don't you know what I mean it's yeah it is an interesting one I feel like there's not many cases that have these types of theories like, like you know it's just where they're per- actually like plausible. Yeah, yeah. Usually like, oh no, that's ridiculous. That could never be the case. But I guess I feel like all of them except for the um mistaken identity one are pretty plausible.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it was very like impersonal. Like if if it was personal, then they hired like a hitman
1: yeah. and made it impersonal. Like I don't think the killer actually like knew her. I do feel like Barry George is unlikely to be the murderer. You know, if it does turn out that he was, I wouldn't be super surprised, but I feel like he's lower down on my list of probable theories.
0: Yeah, I mean, it did seem plausible with his behavior
1: and his Princess Diana obsession,
0: Yeah,
1: but he also doesn't seem that smart like they said. That organized enough to be, and especially to be able to do that in 30 seconds. um, Yeah, I find it unlikely. I think it's crazy.
0: Like I had no idea that you could – shoot someone in the head like that and have it basically make no
1: sound and not get blood all over you. Like, that was crazy to me. I wonder too, like I find it interesting that the killer grabbed, like they've said they grab, grabbed her arm, pushed her to the ground and then shot her in the head. Why not just push the gun to the back of her head? Like I'm assuming she would have been facing the door, putting the keys in the door. He could have just literally walked up, maybe but maybe but I guess by holding her down it was so able to get. So she not like move maybe? And even to get more pressure on her head like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Rather than, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that that does indicate to me someone experienced as well. Like I feel like Barry George would absolutely not consider that. No. No. Um, So Very mysterious. Yeah, that's kind of it for Jill and the theories. Jill was buried next to her mother on May 21st, 1999. She was buried in the Ebden Road Cemetery. Her colleague Nick Ross worked with her fiancé Alan and they raised over £1.5 million in Jill's name. They funded the Jill Dando Institute of Crime Science at the University College in London. It was opened on the 26th of April 2001, which was the second anniversary of Jill's murder. Police have said this year that Jill's case remains open. The investigation into the murder of Miss Dando remains open as well as all murder investigations. We will always explore any new information which may become available.
0: It's crazy how some people just, like, get away with it. Yeah. But I guess it's also, like, a sign of the times where, like we said, there's not as much digital evidence, tracking,
1: everything. It's um, – I'm just looking, you know, I always Google kind of at the end of recording just to make sure there's nothing else. there. Like, there are recent articles about Jill. There's one from one day ago saying, who was Jill Dando and when was she murdered? Um, There's a lot of articles about the Netflix documentary that are coming out too, so – It's still – all these years later, it's still in the media very frequently. So it is unbelievable that even with all those resources, they haven't been able to find who is responsible. And there's not even, like, a suspect, like, at all. Because usually with some cases,
0: you could be like, oh, like, it was totally, like, the ex-husband, he's really suspicious. Yeah. Or it was this guy that she worked with that was really weird. Like, you can't even really pinpoint it on
1: anyone as, like, a
0: good guess.
1: No, it's a very – yeah interesting case it's we well, even like 'cause I feel like when i i didn't I didn't realize the kind of theories that were involved when I started to look into it, so it is yeah it could be a very wild outcome if we ever find out what it is. Hmm. hopefully we do one day, but my hopes are low. <laughs> I will honestly lose it if it happens right before this episode comes oh, and up. I
0: saw oh imagine another thing that um I heard someone talk about when I was researching today was that. There was like basically no evidence at the crime scene. They were saying, but another thing was is even if there was a little something left behind, the scene was basically like totally destroyed and contaminated because when the medical people showed up, they put so much effort into trying to revive her, literally like there on the steps,
1: that it totally contaminated anything that could have been there. There's actually like when you see the kind of photo of the doorstep, there is a lot of blood. There's probably more blood than I would have expected, I guess that's probably due to the resuscitation efforts, but more blood than I would have expected from a single close-range gunshot to the head. Um, Yeah. There's way more blood than I would have expected. Yeah. Like I said,
0: my hopes are low, but I'll keep hoping.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like... Obviously, I'm sure that the resources used have kind of dwindled because there's no way 20 years later that you can be devoting the same amount of resources to a case. But it is still a high-profile one that is regularly covered, so you never know, I guess. Yeah,
0: maybe the Netflix documentary will bring something out somewhere. All right. That is really it for Jill Dando's story, Uh, Very Mysterious don't really know what to think but maybe we'll do another poll for after this episode to see what everyone thinks yeah. if you, well, for people us who a, hadn't
1: known about this case send us a message if you do have a really strong theory and let us know kind of why that is your theory yeah
0: love to see them um so to do that you should follow us on instagram that's probably the easiest place to contact us at true crime society we're always posting daily updates there about all sorts of crimes Um, You can follow our personal accounts. Mine is StephSum underscore Olivia's TCS Olivia. Just please don't like stalk us and murder us or anything like that. Um, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating on Spotify and Apple. You could just like write us a nice little note, which we love to see. It makes us very happy. And if you could share the podcast on your Instagram or wherever so that lots of people can see it. It's always very nice. The blog, I started out at order this time, we'll have the blog up for this if, if you want to read more about the case and all the sources and everything at Um, And our sponsors, any will be in the episode notes if you guys are ever interested in anything but forget, they'll always be there. And that's that. I have to go shower, which I fucking hate.
1: <laughs> I have to go and get ready for some champagne. <laughs> uh, jealous. <sighs> I wish it was Friday for me. You're nearly there. You nearly made it.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Stay safe out there. Peace out. See ya.